Hello, everybody. You are listening to Limited Play Time, the board game podcast where we bring you board game reviews in 30 minutes or less. Where the next episode is free. I'm Kyle Bolin. And I'm Jason Cavallari. And we are back in our respective homes. I'm back in Indiana. Jason, you're still there in Boston, I assume. Yes. <laughs> so we should have a normal sounding in terms of the audio quality podcast today. Hooray! Woo! Uh, but but none of the joy of being in the same room. Boo. I know. Yeah, yeah. That's sad. But today we are talking about Reef. Reef, the uh, game that, I guess, uh, simulates humans building a coral reef. So, a complete work of fiction. Yes. <laughs> since we're not just destroying it for profits. Yeah, which would be more likely, but... <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah. Okay, so, this game is published by Next Move Games. It is designed by Emerson Matsuchi, and the art is done by Chris Quilliams, who we've talked about before, but I yes, don't remember where. Because I like his name. It is a cool name. Yeah. It is cool. So, <clears throat> Reef is an abstract strategy game that mm-hmm. kind of looks like you use Fisher-Price sort of plastic pieces to build up your coral reef. Yeah, I really like them. <laughs> do you really? Yeah, they're, they're like, chunky and colorful. <laughs> they are very chunky. They they feel they do feel, like, sort of, like, uh, like toddler toys in a way. Like, they're, yeah. they're very bright, very vibrant, um, like, very, I don't know, just, like, they feel very safe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like you'd have difficulty swallowing one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, what you're trying to do is you've got like a little four by four grid of a board that kind of looks like the ocean floor in front of you, and you use card drafting, correct, to basically like come up with or to try to like get the pieces that you want in order to try to build up the reef that you want. Uh, which the the pieces that you're trying to put down on the board will match certain cards that will score based on what things are actually in your coral reef. Yeah, it's kind of hard to describe without, like, a visual reference, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it's basically card drafting. There's, like, a, there's a deck, and, um, there's three that are face up and available for you to pick, um, or you can draw one, a random one from the top of the deck, although you have to pay for it if you do that, um, in terms of victory points, you have to pay a victory point, uh, to, to pull a random one from the top, uh, and on each card, there's, there's two sections. The top tells you, um, which uh, that you can take two pieces from the the pile of available coral pieces. So it'll tell you like you get to take a red and a yellow one or whatever. Um, and then uh, on the bottom is um, an indicator of um, kind of how you can score. Um, uh, so there's like a there's usually like a pattern or something. And it tells you like if you have like three reds in a row, um, then you can score this many points. Um, or if you have uh, a red on level two next to a green on level three, you can score this many points. And there's all kinds yeah. of combinations. So, like, if they're diagonal, if they make a certain shape, or, you know, the, the different levels that the coral pieces are on, whatever. Um, so there's all kinds of different ways that you can build this thing out. Levels um, being, like, the, the how many they are stacked high. So, yeah. like, if you're a level two would be, like, you know, a level two orange would be, like, orange on top of anything else, right? But it's just one on top of another, so it's the second thing up from the bottom. Right, yeah. And so what you're trying to do is essentially build the reef so you can score as many points as possible whenever you play one of those cards. Um, and then you play until one of the, um, there's four different colors of coral, and you play until one of the piles is empty. Um, and then whoever has the highest score is the winner. Yep. It's pretty, yeah. pretty simple to play. Um, <clears throat> wasn't that difficult to teach, wasn't that difficult to learn. Uh, but it definitely it definitely feels like one of those games where and, and I, this is a game that is published by Next Move, who also did Azul, 
Mm-hmm. And when people were really hot on Azul last year and then they announced Reef, I think there was a, a big like sort of fervor around the release of Reef around Gen Con uh, because people were so excited about Azul still and they kind of saw this as being some sort of like spiritual successor to that. Um, yeah, and I, I think like, where they got that from. Well, I think it's just because it's like it uses very tactile pieces in a in sort of an abstract game way, yeah. And from from the same publisher, you know, yeah. Um, and so and I, I you know I kind of get it because like this game is sort of easy to teach, easy to learn, but then if you're really min maxing and, and planning out your turns, you can do some sort of combo stuff with the way that you're scoring things that can be really fun or impressive and 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 very satisfying to pull off. In the same way that some things can be in Azul, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But it's definitely, uh, I mean, I guess, I mean, in a sort of superficial way, I mean, they're kind of Exactly, yeah, it's, this is very, like, surface level, because what you're actually doing in the game is very different from Azul, like, they are, like, the actual, like, mechanical, uh, the the mechanics you're using, and the way that you have to sort of plan things out is definitely different from Azul. Right, yeah, and in some ways, I think that the, uh, the strategic value of Azul is, uh, deeper. Yeah. So, yeah, when we were playing this game, I made the comment that, oh, this is Ticket to Ride. (laughs) (laughs) And by the end of the game, Brian was like, you're right, it's Ticket to Ride. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know about that either, but it's a little more freeform, like... That that's a very reductive way of saying that you're you're collecting like basically like sets of cards that you'll be able to like use to like play in succession later on in the game for your grand plan. You know, yeah. Um, like but it, it feels like has like very set pathways, and yeah, reef is a bit more freeform in that you're kind of you're free to build your reef however you want. Basically, well, I feel like in that know, sixteen I'm, square. It's a, grid yeah, it's a sixteen by sixteen grid. I mean, like there's no, all, it's a four by four grid. Okay, yeah, sorry, 16, 16, <laughs> a 4x4 four four grid that makes 16 squares. So you've got yes, 16 you squares go. in front of you, and uh, that's all you've got to work with. So in some ways, I feel like it's like more restrictive than something yeah, like you can also ride, build where you've got up. a whole board in front of you. You can build up, yeah, but I mean, still, if it feels, which is interesting. I mean, like adding verticality to trying to plan out how you're going to get all these different pieces of coral reef next to each other to score on this card that you've got in your hand, you know, mm-hmm. on the next round or whatever. Um, that's where the that's where the fun is. That's where the strategy is, is figuring out how you're going to build that up so that you can score this card in your hand without necessarily precluding yourself from scoring another card in your hand that you want to play later on. Or maybe right. you see a card out there on the board that, like, is worth a lot of points and you're kind of lagging behind, so you want to make sure you grab that before someone else does. But is it worth grabbing? Because maybe it doesn't match the way your board looks at all right now, and it would take, like, three or four rounds before you could even approximate what's on that card and score it you know mm-hmm. so there's all yeah. kinds of different decisions to make um during the game but none of them are that difficult or that perplexing no um yeah i feel like this is a game that you could do well with um sort of trying to introduce children to playing azul <laughs> before like, that like y- yeah yeah, yeah you baby, know it's baby's like a, first baby's first ast- abstract game that's yeah yeah it's like azul jr yeah, yeah kind of in a way <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that if you got good at the the sort of like thought exercise that you go through with planning through the the sort of spatial puzzle of of reef, then yeah, I mean that might mm-hmm. lead you down a path where you can then also transfer those skills into thinking in an abstract way about plenty of other abstract games, right, such yeah. as Azul, yeah, um, or you know, chess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, the game is is like really abstract too. Like it's not 
I mean, there's a theme, like, you're building a reef, but, like, Big Whip, like, that could be anything. <laughs> yeah, this could have been, like, Candy Factory, the game, or something like yeah. that. You know, you this could be the, the Candy Theme Park. There were, you're, you're, you're building up all the different, like, candy attractions. It could be it could be any of those things. Like, you know, the, the, the fact that it is a reef is really irrelevant to, you know, it just, it looks like building up a coral reef a little bit. Because the pieces yeah. are shaped, like, you know, sort of vaguely shaped the way that coral can be shaped. So. Right, yeah. I mean, and that said, I mean, I think there are some abstract games that actually, I mean, theme is usually always pretty minimal in abstract games, but some abstract games do it pretty well. So, for example, I think, like, King Domino is basically an abstract game, but yeah. the fact that you're building a small kingdom is represented by the fact that you have a castle and you're, like, building lands around it, and the lands are, you know, different types of terrain and whatever else. And so at the yeah. end, you end up with, like, a grid of a small small kingdom. Um, I think Reef is a little bit less successful in that because it's sort of, I don't know, it's almost like playing with building blocks. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. But I don't know. There, there's there's still an interesting puzzle here. I I think that this game kind of lives and dies on the strength of the strategy involved and like how creative you can be with accomplishing sort of the goals set on those cards that you're drafting and and then feeling accomplished when you pull that off. You know, um, yeah. because the, because you can combo these things up. So like if you have you might see like a certain pattern on the cards and if you have repeated that pattern like two or three times on your board, you get to score it two or three times. So like yeah. there's ways where you can get really creative with like, you know, like taking a card that looks really like kind of weak, right? Like the I think I had a card that was like, hey, have, you know, two of these little purple purple ones or whatever and as long as you've got those two things next to each other you'll score a point and i was like well that's kind of weak but like you can make it so that you've got like you know like eight of those things on your board so you could score eight points with that one card which is like a pretty pretty hefty score for one turn so yeah um and and you start to feel very clever when you do that which you Mm -hmm. know anytime you feel clever in a game that's kind of an awesome feeling (laughs) yeah i mean one thing that i don't i mean i I like the game pretty much i mean it's uh it's you know a fine short abstract game you can play multiple rounds of it it's easy to teach to people you know all the quick things that we yeah the things that we really like about it um one of the things that I don't like about it is the the sort of randomness involved in terms of when the the cards that are pulled up. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's overly punishing to have to pay uh, victory yeah. points to grab one from the top. Which is odd, because like in most games, if you just take a random one from the top, like say in Ticket to Ride, you take a, a yeah. random card from the top, like that is not something you punish because you're you have less chance of getting what you want there. Yeah, you have no true. idea what you're getting. So I feel like that's a strange design choice that I don't understand why you would punish somebody for taking a random card rather than picking one of the visible cards face up, you know? Maybe- I think, I mean, the only thing that I can think of is that it's sort of, because when you pay the victory point, you actually put it on one of the face up cards. Yeah. Um, and I think it's trying to incentivize people to take a card that's that may be less desirable for whatever reason. Yeah, and, and, and it sort of de-incentivizes you to to not take one of those face-up cards, which I think they're trying to cycle that so that, like, people can sort of, like, build the things that work within their reef. Yeah. Um, and if they weren't doing that, eventually the market would just be stagnant and nobody would take anything from it because it's just three unwanted cards. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it's, there's probably... I mean, in playtesting, they probably, like, saw that yeah, as a that's thing. that's probably what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that makes some sense when, when, like, when we talk through it. But, yeah, it seems strange um, at first blush when you're just playing the game for the first time. 
yeah. given the fact that, given the fact that any other time you've played any other number of games where you do something that is a random uh, card gain or you know like resource gain, you would never have to like pay extra to get the random thing. You know, like that is strange. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it makes sense within the context of this game. Now that we've talked about it, so hmm. yeah. So do you uh, do you like abstract games generally? I like some of them, you know, like I came home from uh, Boston last year and immediately went out and bought King Domino because I thought that that was so cool. It was like, you know, relatively expensive and it's very portable, you know, like you can throw it in a backpack, take it with you and it plays so quickly. Um, I really like King Domino. I've played quite a bit of King Domino in the last year. Uh, I also bought Azul pretty quickly after we got. We, 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 after I got back from uh, Boston last year, mm. um, and I've really enjoyed Azul. Like, I've played a whole lot of Azul in the last year as well. Um, I feel like I only have a need for so many of those in my life, though, you know? Like, yeah. there's only so much room for games that don't necessarily scratch a thematic itch for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and while Reef is a fine game, there's nothing really wrong with it. I don't feel like it does anything better necessarily than something like Azul or King Domino or probably, you know, like any other handful of games that I've got in my collection that are more on the on the abstract side. Right. And so I don't feel like Reef replaces anything for me as somebody that already owns a decent number or at least like, you know, a small handful, which is enough for me of abstract games. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is one that like if you were looking for something that was very colorful and might have visual appeal to say like, you know, a 10 year old kid, you know, your wife, whatever. Um, I feel like reef might be a good choice if you don't already have other games that are decent, quick, you know, kind of like, um, low intensity, but you know, um, Mm -hmm. uh, abstract games with a little bit of depth while still, you know, being relatively easy to learn. Um, if you don't have any of those and, and you think that this just visually looks like something that you and your family would enjoy sitting down and playing, I could see making a purchase then. Right. Um, yeah. Still not a horribly expensive game. I'm looking now, and it looks like the MSRP on it is $40, and you can get it for, like, around $30, like, you know, online. So that's that's not that's not too big of an ask, I think, for this game. I just don't think that it, it fits into my collection really anywhere with already having something like Azul, King yeah. Domino, and yeah. probably, like, you know, a good half dozen other games that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think there's, uh, if you have like a, a decent set of abstract games that you really like, I don't think that this one is going to add anything new to it. The only thing that I think really is in its favor is that it's, I think it's actually a very visually appealing game. Yeah. Um, the You know, the colors are sort of bright and vibrant, the pieces are big and chunky, and then you, you sort of, uh, you can build up or, or sideways or whatever else, and you end up, you know, with a pretty substantial interesting looking construction by the time that you're done um so i mean if you're very visually stimulated like that um i can see you know you might like it i also think that's why children might like it as well um in addition to the fact that it's not terribly complicated to learn how to play and it it actually kind of feels like playing you know like a stacking puzzle game or something like that with the way the pieces like kind of sit on each on top of each other yeah um so yeah yeah, i i think that somebody that has kids between the ages of maybe like six or seven and like 13 are going to find a real good use for this game um outside of that i think you've got to kind of take a look at it and decide whether or not knowing that it's an abstract game that plays relatively quickly is easy to learn has at least some amount of depth maybe not quite on the same level as azul then you got to make a decision about whether or not it really fits for you given your collection and the state that it's in at the moment you know yeah yeah i almost wonder if the game ends too quickly i don't think it did. I, I was actually going to say, if this game lasted any longer, I probably would have started to feel a little bit more negative about it. 
Yeah, I, I think I think that a game like this, if it lasts thirty minutes, that's a good length of time for a game like this. And I think our game lasted like thirty to forty or something like that. Yeah, um, I mean, we were learning how to play, so. Yeah, but I mean, it's not a hard game to learn. I think we probably yeah. picked up the rules within the first like five minutes, so we didn't waste that much time. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like um, I just feel like by the time the end had come around, that I there was still like so much I wanted to like. I had a hand of cards that I really wanted to like get out there. Yeah, but um, I, I don't know. There's lots of games where like watching the pile of something diminish and knowing that that's going to trigger the end game. That's part of the strategy of those types of games. I mean, that's part of the strategy in Ticket to Ride is keeping an eye on your opponent's train train supply to make sure that you're ready for the end of the game you know and trying to keep up with them in terms of because if you hold on to stuff for too long in a game like this you're not going to win in the end because you're still sitting on a pile of stuff that you didn't use uh, this is like ticket to ride one of those games where you've got to be like grabbing stuff that you can use and using it fast enough so that you stay in the game to the end and that to make sure that you're not getting left behind by the people that are sort of like you know racing to trigger the end game condition you know oh yeah that's true i mean i, I guess the game is designed to have that you know, like so if you can see that the end is coming you have to prioritize yeah. what you have in your hand so and you, and you can definitely see that because there's you know four giant piles of fisher price pieces like right out in front of you yeah. and you can see them diminishing <laughs> and everything like you can count them pretty easily they're big enough that like you know you can actually probably do a visual count without even like you know like using your finger or anything like that so <laughs> yeah i know it's true i mean it's not difficult to keep track of yeah, yeah. I, I think that, like, f- keeping track of the end game coming in a game like Ticket to Ride, where the trains are very small and can kind of be obfuscated by each other, like, especially if they're sitting across the table, you know, like, in front of another player. Like, y- sometimes you look at a Ticket to Ride uh, train puzzle or train pile, and I have no idea if that's, like, you know, eight trains sitting there or 12 or 15 or whatever. Like, like the piles can yeah. be kind of difficult to tell. But in this game, it's a lot easier to tell how many of those, those pieces are in the pile. What mm-hmm. you don't know is how many of that particular color is going to get used by the two players that are in front of you in the turn order that round or whatever right yeah true. so you might think you have another round coming and then you might get surprised and oh hey no both of those people took the blue pieces or the purple pieces or whatever they are um and so now the game's over and i thought i had another round but you know that's just how these games work sometimes and that's part of the strategy is trying to stay in the race you know like trying to kind of stay neck and neck point wise with the people that are around you mm-hmm. um so that when that end game does get triggered, you haven't just been sitting on a pile of cards that you planned on using, you know, 30 minutes into the game. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I think part of the thing that also makes it easier to keep track of is that, like, it's a communal pile of coral reefs. Yeah, yeah, it's in the middle of your table. individual train piles. Yeah. Right, yeah, which makes it even harder. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm drawing a couple of comparisons to Ticket to Ride here, and, and that's definitely one of them, is the fact that one of the supplies going empty is one of the things that triggers the end game. And so I feel the same sort of pressure in this game as I do in Ticket to Ride to try to remain productive throughout the game, like in a consistent manner, so that I'm not just sitting on a pile of useless crap at the end of the game. You know? <laughs> yeah, sitting yeah. on useless crap. Yep. <laughs> the Kyle Bolin story. Yeah. So how do you feel about owning it, Jason? Do you feel like this is something you're going to be breaking out and hitting the table with often? or? Um, you know, I have specific sets of friends that I think I can play this game okay. with and that it'll serve well in that capacity. Um, I, you know, if it was just like a random group of people and they were like, hey, let's break out a game, like, I could do that. And then there, I have some friends that, like, I usually play pretty abstract, um, simple to learn games with, so that it'll be good for them. But um, I don't think I'll be, you know, hankering to play it <laughs> anytime soon. Okay. Um, right. I am glad I own it, though. I do like Emerson Matsuji's 
style. Um, mm-hmm. So I played, this is the second game that I played by him. I also played um, Century Eastern Wonders, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, we can talk about it at a future date, but uh, it's um, it's also kind of an abstract, abstract game, but it has a little bit more of a theme to it. And uh, it has a little bit more strategy involved than something like Reef, but uh, you can see how a lot of the mechanics are sort of similar. Um, and it's... You know, I, I like I like the the visual style of his games, and I like the ease of play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this falls right in line with that. Cool. All yep. right, Jason. If somebody wanted to get a hold of us and tell us how awesome they think building a coral reef would be, and tell us exactly <laughs> how scientifically we can do that in the future, and how we can all chip in so that we do not destroy the world's coral reefs, how would they do so? Okay, so for future reef construction plans, um, you can email us. It's podcast at limitedplaytime.com. You can tweet us at limitedplaytime. You can go to the website, limitedplaytime.com, or you can check out our recently created Instagram, Limited Playtime Podcast. Yeah, we're putting all the weird stuff we're doing on our own in the Instagram channel now. So Oh, and we about... have a YouTube channel now. Oh, yeah, we do have a YouTube channel, yeah. Um, I don't know how to tell people how to get to a YouTube channel on the internet, like just vocally, like using using radio. I don't know how you do that. Uh, (laughs) I do know that if you go to youtube.com and you go into their search bar and you search for limited playtime, we might pop up. Uh, I know that if you search for limited playtime once upon a time, which is the first video we've put up is a, uh, a video version of us doing our 50th episode where we played once upon a time. I know that it shows up. Um, either right at the top of the results or within the first couple results, because I think there's a couple other Once Upon a Times that have, you know, like 100,000 views or something like that. Yeah. Maybe it's probably like 10,000 or whatever. But uh, So it, it shows up. So you can find us that way, uh, and that's I, – I think you can – there's usually like what, like a subscribe button or something in, in yeah. YouTube channels? So there is. you can subscribe if you want to see the future content we're going to put out, which we plan on doing, but – not at quite the same rate we do the podcast. Um, <laughs> not not that quickly, but we'll we'll be putting some stuff out. Uh, we've already got some stuff shot. Um, we just need to get it edited and yeah, we'll, we'll probably have a bunch of stuff around Gen Con too. Yeah, definitely some stuff around Gen Con. So, and I, I'm kind of thinking that I'm going to start doing some stuff on just my end too because I I was very impressed with the way that we put some stuff together while I was in uh while I was in Boston, and I'd kind of like to start tooling around with some of that stuff myself so we might have some more future content coming on the youtube so next week we are going to be talking about another game we played in boston terraforming mars <laughs> why did you say terraforming mars it was I, very lyrical i'm singing the, the song of terraforming mars we have to <laughs> okay. get to the top of olympus mons and sing the right song and then all of a sudden mars becomes a lush verdant place where we will drink from the lakes and fish from the oceans and that's exactly what it felt like when we played the game spoilers <laughs> that sounds a little more magical than <laughs> it does actually it's very more disney-esque but yeah. you know we'll we'll talk about the reality of playing terraforming mars next week on limited playtime <laughs> limited playtime thanks for listening everybody we'll see you in one week later bye bye